everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto seven years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the February 3rd, 2023 episode of Unchained. If you're enjoying Unchained, please consider signing up for Unchained Premium for exclusive interviews, a subscriber-only chat group, and transcripts of the shows. With the Crypto.com app, you can buy, earn, and spend crypto in one place. Download and get $25 with the code LAURA, link in the description. Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Today's guest is Kadam Schuber, investigative reporter at the Financial Times. Welcome, Kadam. Thanks for having me on. This week, the Celsius Independent Examiner, Shoba Pillay, dropped her 476-page report on the failed crypto lender. And it was quite the bombshell. What were your main takeaways from the report? The main takeaway from the report is that Celsius was a com- complete disaster in almost every way imaginable and, and almost from the very beginning, in a way. One of like the major things that came out uh, in the examiner's report is uh, is to do with the Celsius native token sell, and the way that uh, the, the way that the examiner portrays what was going on with sell is that Celsius spent an enormous amount of money, including its customers, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, including investor cash, simply on buying its own native token to prop up the price. And and then the real kicker here is in the examiner's report. One of the reasons that they were buy- spending so much money buying its own token was so that executives, including Alex Mashinsky, could sell their token and so that their sales would not crash the public price. And I think the amount is something like $68 million worth of sell that Alex Mashinsky sold. Yeah, and that's referring to the CEO. That's right. That's the CEO and, and fa- former CEO and, and founder. <laughs> you know, it's a very long document. It's almost... You know, with the appendices, I think it's like 600, 700 pages, but it is extraordinarily damning. Yeah. Something else that really struck out at me is the marketing around Celsius. And this is a lesson that customers are rather painfully learning now. Some of the claims that Celsius made about how its earned product worked or what would happen in the event of a bankruptcy were flat out false, according to this report. What were Celsius and Mashinsky claiming, and what was the reality? So the, the way that the examiner puts this is uh, sort of is very sober in a in a sort of lawyer like way. I think the line says something like, "You know, the business model that Celsius marketed was not the business model that it actually operated." That's that's putting it mildly. So, for example, uh, you know, Celsius represented that. <clears throat> you know that it would pay something like eighty percent of its revenues or profits uh, to customers in the form of rewards, 
actually the rewards that it paid had nothing to do with how much money it was making because it wasn't making any money. Um, they simply set rewards to to be competitors, like say BlockFi or Voyager, or, you know, other crypto lenders. The uh, you know uh, Celsius was marketed as extremely safe. In fact, internally, its sort of systems, its systems, its processes, its internal controls were you know almost non-existent. Um, there was a particular particular intern. Uh, one one person internally said that it was basically a complete. A complete shambles like they recognized internally that they didn't really know what was going on in terms of the investments they were making celsius was represented as you know making institutional loans that are fully collateralized in fact it was um, doing all sorts of investments that weren't institutional loans and even the institutional loans that it was making a big chunk of them were completely uncollateralized or collateralized with extremely illiquid you know um, assets that were basically worth the zero as collateral so there's a whole there's a whole sort of uh, landscape of things like every, everything that Celsius represented about itself to the public, almost every single one of them, according to the examiner's report, was 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 not true. Yeah, and another piece of it that just kind of had my jaw dropping to the floor was that I guess in a lot of the video AMAs that um, Mashinsky did on YouTube, he would often you know make these different claims that did not actually represent how Celsius was operating. And then afterward, there would be like staff meetings on whether they should edit them, removing the information without actually alerting people that, you know, those were misstatements. And so, you know, they were very well aware that what he was claiming and what the reality were were different. Let's actually now dive a little bit more into Cell as you flagged early on. What were some of the claims about Cell and what was happening behind the scenes? Initially, it seemed at the very start of Celsius, you know, the sell token was just um, allowed to have its own price. But from about 2020, Celsius began spending its own money, spending its customers' money, spending investor money to prop up the price. So they they would tell the, the community, well, we buy a certain amount of sell from the market to pay the rewards that we owe you. Um, in fact, they bought to keep the price where they wanted to, wanted it to be. One you know, I, I mentioned one of the reasons the examiner said that they did this. One of the reasons was so that um, insiders, executives, people like Alex Mashinsky, so that they could sell their own holdings of sell um, without affecting the price massively. Another reason is um, keeping the price of sell up had a major positive impact on Celsius's own balance sheet. So Celsius, you know, ha- had its own holdings of sell token. It, it recorded it on its own balance sheet as an asset. And therefore, by spending, you know, money that investors were giving them, um, crypto assets that customers were giving them on buying sell, it could inflate and protect its own balance sheet. And one of the remarkable things in, when the examiner um, details the collapse in, in May, you know, beginning in May and then in June last year, you know, Celsius and was trying, was still trying to prop up the price of sell because that was so much of its balance sheet. Um, and there's a, um, I believe there's like a reference in, you know, in, in maybe mid-May around the time that Terra Luna was collapsing, you know, they're still, they, you know, they're facing massive withdrawals and they're still trying to spend money on, on propping the sale price up. When you read the report, you get this sense of a business kind of geared towards propping up this sale token. And it's sort of bizarre in a way. Um, they're, they're, it, 
it makes you, it gives you the impression that there was like it was never really much, like a sort of a real real profitable business there. Yeah, yeah, and another piece of it was that Celsius during its initial coin offering had actually claimed that it had sold all 325 million cell in that ICO. But only 203 million were actually sold, and the company debated whether or not to tell the community that and ultimately didn't. And then some of the other pieces, just because I think the other theme that stood out to me was throughout, it was very well aware that the employees were very well aware that what was happening here was not above board. So, for instance, like the head of trading said to other employees, including the then CFO, just to clarify between us three, the last three to four months, we bought more sell than what we pay as interest per week, but we did not buy it for the interest payments. That's just what we told the community. And then even the Celsius employees kind of jokingly congratulate themselves on their good work, which resulted in people thinking that the price of sell would go to the moon. Ha ha. So um, they very clearly kind of understood what was happening here and which we'll talk about in a second. They did try to um, change the behavior. What about that stuck out to you? Did you also notice that same theme? So two two things on that. And just to, to emphasize just how sort of pervasive this or how important this you know, buying cell was to Celsius. So the, the examiner looked at, well, how much cell did um, Celsius ever release into the world, into the, into the marketplace through its ICO? And how much cell did it buy? And it found that it had bought more cell than it had ever released into the community. Um, I think they say, you know, they, in effect, Celsius bought every cell token once and maybe even twice, at least some of them twice. On the, um, you know, the other employees, I mean, that's definitely one of the things that comes out in the examiner's report. There was a certain amount of understanding amongst, you know, I guess you'd call it C-suite and managers at Celsius. People understood that what they were telling users and customers was not accurate. People understood that the business was not sustainable. Um, They understood that, you know, the uh, systems and processes and you know, records that they had weren't reliable. Effectively, you know, people knew it was a mess. You know, there was, you know, this wasn't a kind of, you know, only the chief executive knew what was going on kind of thing. People knew what was going on. And and there's also some some indications in the report that people were trying to fix it. And and so there's sort of I, you, you can read that report and and you can take away two things about, you know, the people other than Alex Mashinsky in the company, either that, you know, they should have blown the whistle much, much earlier. They should have um, alerted, uh, you know, customers what was going on. And you could look at it the other way, which is that, you know, people were trying to fix it. You know, they, they, they weren't sort of necessarily happy with what was going on. Yeah, yeah. No, I had the same exact two takeaways. I thought, why didn't anybody blow the whistle sooner? Um, but then I did see, yeah, they were trying to change it internally. All right, so in a moment, we're also going to talk a little bit more about the balance sheet of Celsius, but first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 50 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, earn, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. Spend your crypto anywhere using the Crypto.com Visa card. Get up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions and zero annual fees. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. 
They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Back to my conversation with Kadam. One of the biggest revelations was that Celsius had a hole in its balance sheet as early as the beginning of 2021. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, Shoba Pillay found there? Yeah, so in a way, everything comes back to this maniacal buying of sell all the time. Um, And so what, what the examiner describes is that you know, in around 2021, obviously the price of um, you know uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum had been rising, and and Celsius realized it had a problem. It had been using the t- coins that users had been given them to purchase sell, and suddenly uh, now it has this big coin deficit because it spent it all on propping up the price of sell. The price of Bitcoin has risen significantly, and now in dollar terms, that hold is is very large. And Celsius does an interesting thing to fix it. They used other customer coins, so you know. So we we've got a gap of Bitcoin. We're going to use the other Bitcoin that we have that we haven't spent. We're going to use that as collateral to borrow stable coins. So we're going to go out and get loans using this user Bitcoin as collateral. And then we're going to use the stable coins that we've got to buy Bitcoin to plug the Bitcoin hole. And so they've got this big balance sheet uh, hole, which is like a deficit in stable coins. And there's a a very stark chart in the examiner's report, which shows that if you exclude the sell token, so the inflated price of sell is disguising this hole, you know, for um, at, you know at least since 2021. But you can see that there's been a there's been an overall coin deficit for a long time, and it's been in stable coins. Now, what happens when it goes bankrupt is, you know, people want their Bitcoin back. Celsius has to unwind these loans, has to pay back the stable coins to get the Bitcoin collateral back, to give it back to users. And you have this sort of double tension where users want the Bitcoin. They have to give Bitcoin back to pay off their loans to get the Bitcoin back. And then that hole becomes sort of um, unavoidable. Yeah, it, it, it's really... the, the, the wor- Actually, the even more worrying thing here is the reason why the examiner says that it began in 2021 is not because she knows for sure that's the case. It's because she's only been able to reconstruct the records going back that far. Oh, so it may even have it may even have been earlier. Wow, it looks that way given the fact. Well, I guess that chart starts in like May 2021, and the deficit is already quite large at that point. Right. So um, clearly, it happened earlier, and but we don't know quite when. Yeah, I think, honestly, I feel there are so many echoes of the FTX situation um, because obviously, you know, they both had their exchange token that they were trying to prop the price up of. And then both of them also were using as collateral to like essentially take out good money, but that's what eventually buried them both. So one other thing that I wanted to ask about here was, you know, I think the part that shocks me is 
what you were saying before about how the rewards rate was not related at all to how much money they were actually making when they were lending out those funds. And it feels like they could have just had a sustainable business if they'd just done it that way. Um, And so, you know, I don't know what your take is on kind of why uh, they didn't, or I think in this case, it was really Axe Mashinsky who decided not to just try to go the sustainable route. Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of things there. One is um, there was this mentality, and and the examiner really attributes this, you know, very individually to Alex Masinski, that they should be going for growth, and so the important thing was just to attract users um, in, you know, in in very large quantities. And there's a, obviously a question mark over that, given the precarious financial situation it's in, and. You know, so is the reason why you need lots of new users all the time because you're in a precarious financial situation? The second thing is that it appears that it was not necessarily well understood within Celsius exactly, you know, how much money it was or wasn't making, or exactly what its profitability was. Um, and this is in part because they just had extraordinarily bad records, and so there seems to be a realization in, I think, in early 2022. And the the other thing actually to remember is that there's, you know, different people joining uh, the company into like new role, you know, risk officer or, you know, that kind of financial officer, that kind of thing. And so it appears in early 2022, people begin to realize like, wait, we are paying or, you know, quote unquote rewards in far in excess of what we're actually making. Like we do not have positive net interest margins. We are paying users more than we can, we, we make and that we could possibly expect to make. Um, and it, you know, in the examiner's report, you can see Alex Masinski resisting that. And I think he says, uh, there's a, there's a quote there where he tells the CFO to stay in his lane, you know, uh, you know, marketing is my job. I'm, you know, I, I've brought in $20 billion, which is what it's sort of balance sheet size was at that time. And, you know, I can bring in more or something. That's sort of a paraphrase of the interaction. That's that was certainly a, a problem that it was not, um, the reason, you know, the reason it was paying out the rates that it was was not actually tied to what you could actually make. Yeah, I also remember reading that interaction in the report, and I, uh, yeah, just my eyes widening. So another factor here was that Celsius also had considerable losses in certain investments. You know, some of them, you know, were reported in the news previously. But can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, so some of them are, I think you could probably characterize some of them as bad luck and you could characterize some of them as poor investment decisions. So it took out a, 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 um, you know, a massive loan uh, using its customer Bitcoin as collateral and the, uh, the counterparty ended up not being able to return that collateral in part because the big price of Bitcoin had risen so substantially and it appears that you know, the counterparty had just sold the collateral and then therefore you know, the price had risen a lot, they were short and they couldn't pay it back immediately there's stuff like uh there's a company called stakehound uh which seems to have just lost the keys to the ethereum that um celsius had had um i, I think loaned to them or staked with them but there's you know uh, they they were you know they made really large uh, bets on gbtc the grace grayscale bitcoin trust and really uh sort of i guess funny in a kind of grim way but you know in december 2020 when the gbtc gbtc was still at a premium they were talking about you know dramatically increasing their bets on GBTC, and then obviously you know I think the very next month or the month after that it went to a discount and it stayed as a discount ever since. Um, so 
Celsius, like a, a, a lot of crypto uh, investors, had this you know loss from from piling into the GPTC trade. And the the key thing that the examiner points out about these investments, um, these bad investments, is that one, Celsius didn't tell customers that that that's what it was going to do. It told customers that they was going to do institutional lending. And secondly, it didn't tell customers about these enormous losses. And so, you know, people in mid-2021 or late 2021, you know, would have no idea that Celsius was not only sitting on a big balance sheet hole from all the money it was spending on propping up the sell token, but it was also sitting on significant losses from these bad investment decisions. And I think she really points out that in 2021, you know, 2021 was the crypto bill year. Uh, lots of companies made enormous profits, at least on paper. Celsius made an enormous loss in 2021, you know, the, the year that everyone else made money. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's shocking on a number of levels, although I guess in a way we sort of knew um, that this just confirms. So out of curiosity, based off this report, do you think or are you hearing anything about whether or not Mashinsky could face either fraud charges or even prison time? So we know that the DOJ is investigating Celsius. Um, we know that you know there's been a, a long-running SEC investigation, which would be uh, civil, not criminal. We also, you know, we also know the New York Attorney General has already sued him. Um, so there's clearly like a lot of pressure and attention and scrutiny of his conduct. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to say you know what's going to happen next, but you know, I mean, clearly, uh, clearly that's a you know that's a risk for him. Clearly. One other thing that I want to ask about is that after these findings from the report, state officials called for a similar independent examiner to conduct, you know, a similar independent report on the financials of FTX, Alameda, and their subsidiaries. Do you think the revelations here could influence that decision? I don't know the extent that it's going to influence the judge. I mean, the situation in FTX is that you have the, you know, you have the new FTX management. They oppose the Oppose a new examiner, so does the creditors committee, so does the Bahamas, you know, liquidators, they all oppose it. You just have the trustee, you know, filing this motion to appoint one. It's it's clearly helpful for the trustee that you have now uh, you know, I think seventeen or more states um, you know, you know, also supporting a motion for an examiner. But what what it does show, I think, is I guess the value to the broader creditor base and to the public. Of, of these appointments because you get, you know, you know, the DOJ is not going, is, you know, is, is, you know, it's prosecuting Sam Bankman fried It's not going to write like a big report about what happened. You know, the FTX, the debtors and the creditors committee, they're interested in, um, you know, pursuing claims, right? They, they, you know, it's not their job to write a big report explaining to people what's happened. And also they're not, you know, they're not strictly, you know, independent from what's going on exactly. You know, they're, they're involved in the process. You get if you get an independent examiner, you get this accounting of what's happened from somebody who's unbiased, who's not involved, who wasn't involved previously in any way. I think I think it's sort of vital for the broader creditor understanding, but also the broader public understanding of what happened to these to these companies. Yeah, no, I agree. I I mean, granted, you and I are both journalists, so we probably have the same view that the more information, the better. But I do understand you know, these are expensive or they can be. And that's the concern, I think, from those parties who oppose it. Um, all right. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for uh, coming on Unchained. Thank you. It's been fun. 
Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. SPF is accused of misusing Robinhood shares. Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of bankrupt crypto exchange FTX, is facing allegations of criminal misuse of customer property and concealing his actions by the Department of Justice. According to federal prosecutors, Bankman-Fried used 56 million Robinhood shares as a means to misuse customer money, which they outlined in a letter to U.S. bankruptcy judge Lewis Kaplan. The shares were acquired with the FTX co-founder Gary Wang through a foreign special purpose vehicle with no connection to FTX or Alameda. The prosecutors have taken control of the Robinhood shares and other assets worth over $700 million. Despite these accusations, Bankman-Fried's legal team is arguing that he should still have access to his crypto assets, claiming that the government has found no evidence that he was behind unauthorized transfers made by Alameda wallets. SPF is not only being restricted financially, but also in communication. A recent court ruling by Judge Kaplan has banned SPF from having any communication with current or former employees from FTX and Alameda, aside from immediate family members. The ruling came after the crypto mogul was accused of attempting to contact a potential witness in his case through the encrypted messaging platform Signal. That person is believed to be FTX U.S. General Counsel Ryan Miller. Judge Kaplan deemed the restrictions necessary until a further determination can be made, which will be discussed by both legal teams on February 7th. The restrictions were originally put forth as a modification of Bankman-Fried's bail, According to the court filing, the judge believes the evidence supporting the restrictions was clearly and convincingly sufficient. Judge Kaplan has also ordered that the names of the two people who co-signed the $250 million bail bond for Sam Bankman-Fried should be revealed to the public. Previously, only the fact that Bankman-Fried's parents were among the co-signers was known, but the identities of the others were kept confidential. The judge has now ruled in favor of various news organizations that submitted petitions to make the names public. However, the ruling is temporarily suspended pending a possible appeal until at least February 7th. And for those who are house hunting, it may be your lucky day. As a house in Washington, D.C., with ties to SPF, is now available for purchase, listed at a price of $3.3 million. Alameda Research, the trading shop related to FTX, is taking legal action against Voyager Digital, seeking to recover $445.8 million. According to the lawsuit, Alameda claims that it repaid Voyager that amount in September and October, just prior to its own bankruptcy, and is now looking to retrieve those funds to repay creditors through a process known as a clawback. In its claim, Alameda alleges that Voyager played a role in its own alleged misconduct by acting as a lender, either knowingly or recklessly. However, Voyager and its creditor committee denied this motion. The creditors are expecting Alameda's clawback request to be either reclassified as equity or made secondary to all other claims. The creditors argue that Alameda's false statements about its financial strength were the main reason for Voyager's purchase of loans from its insolvent balance sheet. BlockFi is granted approval to sell crypto mining assets. A U.S. bankruptcy court for the District of New Jersey has given the green light for crypto lender BlockFi to sell off its cryptocurrency mining equipment. In a recent filing, the court deemed the sale of these assets to be fair and reasonable in the current circumstances. BlockFi has set a deadline of February 20th for interested parties to submit their bids, and all bids must be filed with the court by March 2nd. 
Creditors have until March 16th to raise any objections to the sales to qualified bidders. Additionally, BlockFi was allowed to offer bonuses to its top employees by Judge Kaplan, who cited the need to retain and maximize the company's estate. Gemini is under investigation. The New York State Department of Financial Services is looking into allegations against crypto exchange Gemini regarding claims about its connections to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, in reference to its earn accounts. According to a report by Axios, some customers were under the impression that their funds in the earn accounts were insured by the FDIC, based on Gemini's references to the agency and its communications. However, it seems that Gemini was referring to its deposits at external banks rather than its own products, leading to confusion and claims of misleading behavior. The Federal Deposit Insurance Act prohibits entities from implying that an uninsured product is FDIC-insured through the use of FDIC in its name or advertisements. Grayscale faces a lawsuit over GBTC's advertising. On a similar note, Osprey Funds, a digital asset management company, has filed a lawsuit against Grayscale Investments for unfair and deceptive acts and unfair competition. The complaint alleges that Grayscale misled investors to believe that their Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, or GPTC, would be converted to an exchange-traded fund. Osprey claims that the alleged false advertising allowed Grayscale to maintain a 99.5% market share while charging four times Osprey's fees. Grayscale is currently contesting the SEC's rejection of the ETF conversion in a separate lawsuit against the regulator, with oral arguments scheduled for March 7th. Last week, Grayscale CEO Michael Sonnenschein was on Unchained to discuss everything about the ongoing lawsuit against the SEC, and he said he was certain Grayscale had the best arguments to win the case. Abraham Eisenberg waves bail. Abraham Eisenberg, the self-proclaimed $114 million exploiter of Mango Markets, a Solana DeFi protocol, has given up his right to bail at a recent hearing in New York. He faces legal action from Mango Labs, who are seeking to recover the $47 million Eisenberg kept as a bounty and has been charged by federal prosecutors with three crimes, including commodities fraud, commodities manipulation, and wire fraud. Eisenberg was arrested in Puerto Rico in December and was later transferred to New York, where he will remain in jail until February 14th at the earliest. Silvergate halts dividend to preserve liquidity. Silvergate, the publicly traded cryptocurrency bank that's come on everyone's radar due to its ties with FTX, has temporarily stopped distributing dividends. The decision was made to maintain a highly liquid balance sheet and help the bank manage the recent market instability. However, on Tuesday, after BlackRock revealed that it holds a 7.2% stake in Silvergate Capital as of December 31st, the stock price of the bank experienced a significant increase. Furthermore, three U.S. senators sent a letter to Silvergate CEO Alan Lane alleging that the bank's dealings with FTX further introduced risk into the traditional banking system. They demanded more information about a large cash loan Silvergate took out from the Federal Home Loan Bank or FHLB, to shore up its accounts after mass user withdrawals. The senators raised concerns that if Silvergate were to fail, the FHLB could have priority over other creditors, including the FDIC insurance fund, which could leave the FDIC, and therefore the American taxpayer, holding the bag, they wrote. Ethereum developers hit another milestone for the network's next upgrade. Barnabas Busa, an Ethereum developer, revealed on Twitter that Zhejiang, Ethereum's first public testnet for withdrawals, is now operational. 
Participants can access funds from designated sources, generate private keys with the Wagyu tools by Steakhouse, which makes staking easier, make deposits through Launchpad, and monitor it through the Beacon Chain. Six days after the launch of Zhejiang, i.e. on February 7th, Shanghai and Kapla testnets will be triggered at Epoch 1350. Following this upgrade, individuals will be able to experiment with partial and complete withdrawals, among other features. Speaking of Ethereum, the total number of Ether tokens in circulation fell to a new post-merge low, with approximately $120.5 million. This is possibly due to Ethereum's burn mechanism, which is similar to a stock buyback in traditional companies, triggered by the spike in user activity. Coinbase temporarily halts new mints. Coinbase NFT, an endeavor that has seen low transaction volumes, recently announced a temporary halt on new NFT releases, following an artist's announcement on Twitter that their upcoming NFT drop would not be launching on the marketplace. In a related note, the Defiance Digital Revolution ETF, known as NFTZ, and marketed as the first ETF for NFTs, is shutting down and will be liquidated by February 28th. Twitter may integrate crypto onto its platform. The Financial Times reported that Twitter is pursuing regulatory clearance to incorporate payment options, including the possibility of crypto payments, on its platform. The company is in the process of obtaining the necessary licenses and designing the software needed. The move is part of Elon Musk's attempt to turn Twitter into a super app. A small team led by executive Esther Crawford is overseeing the project. Musk has previously stated that he wants to diversify the company's revenue streams by adding payment capabilities to Twitter. Time for fun bits. Unchained's new social media manager is Ginny Hogan, who is also a stand-up comedian. She's been doing funny takes on the crypto news on the Unchained social media channels. Here's one on another update from Celsius this week. Bankrupt crypto lender Celsius, not to be confused with the energy drink Celsius, which unlike the crypto lender will at least temporarily boost your mood, filed a 1,419-page court filing on Tuesday stating that eligible users will soon be allowed to withdraw about 94% of their assets. That's like the length of two Lord of the Rings books, said way too many of Celsius's creditors. You guys know they, they make books for adults? Now, this should be good news. I mean, 94% also sounds like a lot. Unless, of course, it's your assets. For what it's worth, I think it's possible that we share like 94% of our DNA with the toaster oven. There are just a couple of tiny catches. Transfers need to be less than $7,575 when they were first made. You also need enough money on the platform to cover your gas and transaction fees. You need to update your customer information and you need to be at least 5'8". Oh, wait, sorry, sorry. I'm thinking in my hand. These users will find out whether or not they're ready to start the withdrawal process on February 15th. That's right. Some single Celsius users are about to have two very dark days in a row. I urge you to subscribe to our Instagram and TikTok or the Unchained Twitter feed to find more hilarious clips from Ginny. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Catam and the developments around Celsius's bankruptcy, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with up from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, Matt Pelchard, Zach Seward, Juan Aranovich, Sam Shriram, Ginny Hogan, Ben Munster, Pamma Jimdar, Shashank, and CLK Transcription. Thanks for listening. <laughs>